0: So I wouldn't say it's an illusion mm. because it does actually have that effect on people's lives.
1: Welcome to Surviving Society
2: with Chantelle Lewis and Tiso Regis,
1: executively produced by Georgia Foriado. Addo. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon.
2: If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. Are you interested in some further reading on social movements and left politics?
1: You should be if you're listening to Surviving Society.
2: Red Pepper is a quarterly magazine and website of politics and culture.
1: It is a space for debate on the left and a home for open-minded socialists. Red Pepper is reader-funded with a sliding scale subscription model, ensuring its content is available to all.
2: Find a link to Red Pepper magazine in the episode notes.
1: Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society podcast. We are really excited today to be joined by Aisha Taylor-Kamara, who is about to finish her PhD in film and television studies in the Department of Cultural, Media and Visual Studies at the University of Nottingham. Aisha's PhD is titled The BBC for a New Generation, dot, dot, dot. I've just added the dot dot dot. So you can put that, you can put that in there if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, Aisha is an Edinburgh Festival TV PhD alumni. She's a member of the African Caribbean Research Collective and part of the West African Research Collective. Aisha is a researcher within the radio audiences department at the BBC. And Aisha has recently produced, research and created an exhibition on black voices in British radio titled In Safe Hands the Voice. Of Black Britain. Come on, Aisha. <laughs> That's a lovely list of things you've been doing and have done. I try to keep myself busy. I can tell. I can tell. We're really excited to have you on the Shades today Aisha, because I know you probably can't because technically you're an employee of the BBC, aren't you? But yeah. we obviously have a complicated relationship with the BBC, but we do talk about bc a lot on the show. I mean, the last time we had. A designated episode yeah. that focused on the BBC was with Tom Mills. Obviously, Tom Mills one of the leading uh, leading sociologists on the BBC. Mm-hmm. Soon to be probably alongside of Aisha, because
0: no, Aisha's coming through. I'm, I'm coming through. I'm oh, coming
1: Aisha's through. Aisha's coming through behind you, Tom. That'll Watch out on some toes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess it would be just really good for the listeners to find out a bit about how you came to be researching this topic, but also what your key arguments are in the thesis.
0: I wouldn't say I've had a complicated relationship with the BBC. Um, I guess I would say as well, actually growing up, I think that relationship has become complicated. The BBC has, I would say, has played an important role in my life growing up in terms of, things like BBC bite size, growing up and and that kind of educational yeah, aspect. god, I did use um, that a lot as I did
1: show, um, Bite size, that got me
0: through. Yeah, and then, you know, coming home and sticking on C B B C and, you know, watching stuff like Newsround Round, and um, mm-hmm. Tracy Beaker. Mm-hmm. Um there are a lot of shows on the BBC that, you know, formed part of my um childhood. So I've always been interested Ka-ching. in BBC. Ka-ching. Another great one. Another <laughs> the Queen's nose. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just reeling the... them off. Reeling them, them off. Matrices. Teaser doesn't know. It it
2: is. I'm like that. You watch a deadish show, they're not Thundercats. If you're not watching Thundercats or Mysterious It <laughs> Is a Gold, tell me about <laughs> it. Wait, wait, what about um,
1: wacky wacky
2: races? Wacky races. So that was. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 before everyone's time. Here <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, yeah,
0: But um, but yeah, so um, I've always kind of had an interest in um, the BBC. And then when I was at school, I got involved in their, um, I think it's called like BBC Young Reporter. Um, I don't know if anyone's heard of that, but it's when the BBC used to come into schools and they would get young people to um, kind of produce news programmes. And that's kind of where my love for the media uh, began. Um, and then when I was doing my undergraduate degree, um, which I looked at the the challenges and opportunities presented um, by Netflix coming into the kind of the online media space, um, it kind of made me think about what the BBC's role was within that. Um, and so I decided that once I'd done um, my master's, that that would kind of be my focus at looking at the BBC, especially since there's been so many conversations about, you know, what is the role of the BBC in society today? Is it still relevant now that we have Netflix, Amazon, um, Disney Plus, HBO, Peacock, you know, there's just so many- Is it, Dis- Brexit box, yeah.
1: racist Bre- box. <laughs> is this just, it's uh, just, doesn't it remind you of just being like- box,
0: Brit box. Yeah, the racist box. <laughs>
1: It's just the, it's just the like, it's the branding of it. It's so. Do you think it's something to do with the the,
0: the colours? Yes, the colours. The, it just the, is the, the blue and the the blue and the red. Yeah, being kind of and the fact there. that they
1: use their kind of flagship show to promote it as um spitting image as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Kind of off the back of that, you know, the fact that the BBC, in collaboration with ITV and now Channel Four are kind of having to create an Mm -hmm. online space for their content that doesn't just um that isn't just there for uk audiences but actually there for the us because that's where it began actually it started in the us
1: oh so is that why because i was like why have they started britbox when you've got iplayer itv player and all four yeah but is it so that there could be a localized
0: space for oh. british content essentially yeah.
2: in a highly fractured world right so the, do we have spaces for like national champions like the bbc well you can get anything you want we're, we're not all sitting around the tv having communal time so for example like both of you spoke about the same programs watching at the same time yeah but, but in different parts of the country right yeah
1: mm-hmm. interesting.
2: so it's like you have this communal space so me and george being the same age roughly we have the same ideas, so when I, we could talk about Thundercats, yeah. he smiles.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And we could do this all around the nation, but is
0: that
1: over now? But now, saying, yeah.
2: everyone has a screen in their pocket. Yeah. So you can watch a screen at any time, at, and so you don't you don't have to wait to five o'clock to watch mm. the news round. You can watch it at two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. So, in the, in this new world, why would we need the BBC?
0: Well, I would say to that because even though you're thinking about communal. I guess communal spaces in which we can engage with television content or radio content that is still existing today in Netflix, mm-hmm. but it's just in a different, completely different way. When we had the conversation before, we were all, we were talking about Ozark. We're all still watching Ozark, and when it drops on the Friday, we're, we're binging all still it. Yeah, it. And, <laughs> and Netflix, Amazon, Disney Plus are still kind of. They're taking some of these aspects of broadcasting and using it or transforming it or manipulating it in a different ways in the online space. So, for instance, where the television schedule played an important role in our lives, in structure in our lives. TV guides. Exactly, the TV guide. The the EPG is what they call the electronic programming guide, um, which is where you go on um, like Sky or Virgin and you see all your programs. The TV remote in terms of like. You know and changing the channel etc that is now manifesting in different ways in the online space so in netflix and in amazon and in disney plus um they're still picking up on some of those characteristics in broadcasting and using it in a way to keep us watching together or communal watching where netflix at the beginning love to drop programs day one drop everything out all in one day they've changed the way in which they release certain programs in order to keep audiences still watching and listening Well, not listening but watching
2: But would you argue that's more to do with the business model rather than community watching so for example Disney Plus would drop their programs in a in a bingeable form but now they've gone weekly because they've seen a f- their figures drop off so they're all losing money so for example Disney understood that they put in 15 billion to take it for the next five years because they understand they will be running at a loss. So this is why this year, as we were saying earlier, they've put the prices up. So I've gone from £60 to £80 because they understand that to keep people watching, I need to keep them interested because it's all about content, right? So our podcast or any other show, any subscription service, is only good as the content you keep putting out. So there's a rush for content. And if I put all my content on all at one go, I can lose my viewers because they don't have to stay forever there's no bond for them they can leave next month they can leave so we have to keep them hooked so like we drip feed it i would argue not really about community it's about the business need to keep you hooked so i will drip feed content to you as possible as to keep but you but do, you,
0: do you think you guys i don't think you guys are disagreeing actually though i think it's i think it's i don't <coughs> think it's like a zero-sum thing yeah, like I, yeah. I, I, I it's a mixture of both hmm. And they've just borrowed that aspect. That that <coughs> aspect of mm. keeping people watching was already in, in existence in broadcasting and uh-huh. has been and continues to be. Mm. Mm. They thought originally yeah. that it was a good idea to give people content on demand. Remember on demand as yeah, yeah, a term yeah, yeah, was yeah, such yeah, a big yeah, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. I want if... that back. I don't like the drip <laughs> feed. I want all my episodes there. I
1: want that one go. So just roll back a sec Aisha. Mm. There's, so you use two key theories in your phd yes tell us what those are
0: so um my first one the main one is that i'm um using is kind of based on um a book by roger silverstone where he looks at the the value basically essentially the value and the role of television in everyday life um and the role in which basically television plays in kind of like structuring structuring our lives um and then the second. Kind of aspect that I look at, and um, which Silverstone actually uses, is Anthony Giddens' concept of ontological security. Sorry,
1: Anthony <laughs> Ante- Giddens. We do have to do. Oh, we have to so do. I, do I was getting ready yeah. to say it. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, listen. We we can talk about his, his ontological security, but as a sociological podcast, we do have to. As a left-wing sociological <laughs> podcast, we have to. Anthony Giddens. You had <laughs> if you know you know if you know you know <laughs> but we'll allow we'll allow we'll allow his
0: ontological se- security we will not allow so, blue labor and so what is way. that
2: Aisha? what, what is ontological <laughs> so security?
0: ontological security is based on the idea that we live in a world kind of um full with risk so because of that we do things in our lives to help us kind of blanket out those anxieties and the fear in which society can impose on us. It's why no one's pr- protesting. This is what Matt was saying. So, it's why no one's protesting. So <laughs> would TV's you, too good. Would you
2: argue like, so TV-
0: <laughs> is a, co- a coping mechanism. mechanism.
2: So would you say that TV, for example, creates a kind of illusion of security?
0: I wouldn't necessarily say an illusion because it does have an an emotional effect on mm. people. Um, which is linked to the idea of being secure and feeling like you belong and have security in who you are and your self identity. So I wouldn't say it's an illusion, Mm. because it does actually have that effect on people's lives. So it's not to say that it's, it's false. And that doesn't happen. How I'm using ontological security in my thesis is in a framework in a conceptual framework, which uses three pillars within it. The first one is that ontological security um, provides structure or television provides structure in our in our lives. One pillar of ontological security is the fact that it provides structure, which is like routines and cycles, traditions, etc. Yes. that helps us build security <clears throat> in our lives. The second is that um, there is this aspect of comfort and reassurance that we also need in our lives and our self-identity. And then the third aspect is... Um, identity itself, and who we are, and where we belong in the world.
1: I in the high five, you <laughs> boom,
0: well done, babe. <laughs> <laughs> now it's It's really no, hard. It's hard. It is, it is hard. Yeah, yeah. And because I'm not a sociologist as well, that's not my background. But you I are. have. A, you I are. have. I wouldn't deem myself a sociologist, but I really have a keen interest in psychology and sociology, mm-hmm. and being able to kind of link those two into um media and cultural studies as well Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so i am still myself and i can admit still thinking through these ideas and how to connect the two together that's really important Aisha. like this is a
1: thinking through podcast so like it's a safe space for thinking through here
2: so when i was reading your thesis aisha i thought of like so when i saw ontological security i was thinking of from plato's republic Mm -hmm. he talks about different what from Who? Plato's Republic.
1: Right, break it down. Wait, wait, so Plato's Republic. He talks,
2: he talks about a thing called a, a noble lie.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: A noble lie is told by the elites. It's a myth uh, or traditions or something that makes the populace feel okay about the reality that they're in. So it hides them from the reality, but it's something that's fostered on them by the elite. So thinking of the media, the media create content. And if it provides that ontological security, it's so they provide, the, they provide the populace with a myth, with myths and traditions and all the security to make them feel all okay. And I follow that through to Edmund Burke, right? So Edmund Burke in Reflections on the Revolution.
1: Okay, oh, Katie, so <laughs> are you ready You're on this right, read a lot more, <laughs> a lot more <laughs> you get okay, me? Okay, wait, right, so Plato to Burke. Yeah, let's so, go. So let's Plato
2: go. through to Burke. So Burke in Reflections on the Revolution, he talked about this thing called the pleasing delusions, which is a kind of like a derivative of, Plato's noble lie. He said that we should not get rid of our traditions. These provide us with, effectively mitigate that risk. They make the world seem a safer place. He has a problem with the enlightenment. The enlightenment strips away those illusions. And I would argue that what we're seeing which since, like, Black Lives Matter and all that, is the shattering of those myths. We have a fractured space where you see media companies are trying to get, get in to create all these multiple noble myths. or multiple echo chambers, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone sits in these to try to explain away this reality. And this is where we're kind of thinking, well, what fills that space? Because mm. what makes us feel comfortable? Because right now, all the things, all the pillars that made us feel secure—the pedantry of the monarchy, the mysteries of, the, of Parliament—all these things are shattered patriarchy, race. And in those spaces, we need to create these myths to mitigate that risk.
0: Whoa,
1: whoa, he's sweating guys,
0: That was a lot to take in. That was sick. <laughs> sorry, that, sorry, was, sorry. that was very that, well explained, that was but sick. <laughs> so, that was a so. lot to take in. Yeah, let's take, let's get yeah, a bit yeah, of yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Gee, that was You're incredible. My
2: brain feels like gonna explode. <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> go on, go on, thank sorry.
0: you, thank okay, you. So something I do want to pick up on something that you said there, and it's something that I actually um, explore in the third chapter of my thesis, where I look at the BBC's relationship with diverse communities. And when I say diverse, I am here with inverted commas, because there are a lot of issues in terms of uh, what we mean by diversity, who is included in diverse, what is the relationship between, um, you know, who is diverse and who isn't etc et etc cetera, et cetera, et cetera. so one of the things that you um was kind of saying in that um in that that idea is when we're thinking about the bbc and its relationship to its audiences and how the bbc kind of began and formed and one of its or one of its organizational identities i say is in this idea that it is a um national truth-seeking facilitator and it often uses that as an excuse sometimes to avoid looking at some of the structural issues within society that are happening whether or not that's things like um, breaking down masculinity or patriarchy etc looking at feminism looking at se- sexuality looking at um, issues of race within society sometimes it can on occasions and we've seen that recently in terms of the Nagamanchetti chetty saga <laughs> or uh, when um the white white journalist uh, fiona i've got what her surname is now on a bbc points west um <laughs> On <laughs> the BBC Points Press report, um, where she said the the n word, and then the BBC went on to oh, defend shit, that. I remember, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we've we kind of see, um, we kind of we can see sometimes the BBC use this this idea that it's out to seek truth and provide truth um, to to audiences <laughs> as a way of. Um, kind of presenting some of these issues as non-issues, as things that don't actually need to be considered an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is one of the things that I do look at in uh, one of my chapters, also the idea of um, national identity and what does that actually mean and who are we included when we say national identity. So when the BBC says um, that it, it you know, it's, wants to kind of foster social cohesion and wellbeing, which is one of the things that it mentions in its fourth public purpose, um, that is kind of entrenched in ideas of um, national unity and bringing people together. But we do need to explore, you know, what what does that actually mean? And who are these people that are you bringing together? And when the BBC says um, it wants to provide value for all, can it actually really provide value for all? Because if it, needs to, if it is going to provide value for all, then it does, almost need to take on a self-reflexive project of itself and look at its histories and its relationship with um, imperialism and colonialism and the monarchy, etc., in order to actually think about, right, how can we actually provide value for everyone?
2: But also in the cultural products it produces. So all the set period dramas that reflect the elite all the time, or if they don't reflect the elite, they reflect white working class people Mm -hmm. of a certain period in time. And they don't look at, like you said, who's the weed in that nation.
1: I'm not going to go on a full defence of the BBC, but if we think about the BBC the last twenty years, in terms of the inclusion of ethnic minorities in Britain, I would say they've done. There has been some but, good work done. Would when you say? you say including, yeah, what? I mean, this is uh, you. Mu- if you listen to the show, you know I'm not. I'm yeah. really, really. Like, <laughs> I am that. really. <laughs> I'm really, really not a fan of the BBC, but like, I'm just thinking of shows that, like, I think about BBC Three, like, and I'm thinking about, like, even more recently, I May Destroy You. Do you know I'm what? Thinking
2: right, about, what? man, don't even watch. You
0: don't even. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Man. You don't even watch BBC, so You don't know. No, listen, listen, listen.
2: <laughs> right. So listen. Why man-
0: don't you watch the BBC? Do you
2: know what it is? Not because of um, it's not because of any kind of political thing or anything. Like it's just how when I grew up, so the cool programs were weren't on BBC One. So BBC Two would be one I'd watch for like things like dance energy. So it would have like more cultural things like people like Normski, it'd be tuned to the streets in inverted commas, right? Young black British culture, it would showcase.
0: Yeah, they had like on BBC Two, they had Def Two.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. so you'd watch shit like that. Yeah, boom, I'm watching that. But then after that, that's half an hour, Man's gone. I'm on ITV, Channel 4, and then when Sky dropped.
0: It's a a wrap. Do you use the BBC for anything else? Um,
2: This is like research,
0: man. It is, (laughs) because the reason why I asked that is because television and news it tends to be the thing that people argue why the BBC is no longer valuable in society or in British society. So I don't even
2: use the BBC for news anymore, really.
0: You'll send the BBC link.
2: No, no, no. I I'll go to the thing. No, no. I don't really to it. You've no, being
0: exposed. Now. No, no, I really don't go to the BBC
2: because I don't. I don't have the. Should I do this? one? Of the reasons, on the no, thing. one. I read. I don't even have it on there because <laughs> when I put the app on there, I know the BBC take a lot of information from the app, so I don't even have the BBC app on my phone. So, so. <laughs> I don't have the BBC app. So when I'm so most most of the time now in terms of in terms of what comes up in my algorithmic feed, it's probably Sky News that comes up in the feed rather than BBC News, and that's simply because the way the information works on in your phone. But in terms of it, I don't really go to the BBC anymore. For, Just for anything? For anything, really. Like, unless, unless they're on YouTube and it's Parliament.
1: Okay, that's interesting. What about during the pandemic?
2: Oh, uh, no, no, definitely not during the pandemic.
0: Not at all? Not, not at to all.
2: watch.
1: No, no. no it felt No, the... like, it felt like state broadcast, yeah, a, like dodgy so 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 state so, broadcast. So, didn't
2: it? So, if it, I, like I said, I, I don't even have a TV at the moment, so we won't even see it on there. So, on my phone, mm. it's, it's the, the app's on my phone, so it'll probably be filtered by Skype sky I won't really see a BBC report on there but I won't really go to, like, like I said not over, just over time that's how it's worked out it's not a conscious thing
1: yeah I, it's just interesting T because I'm just thinking of so I'm T's 44 this year I'm 30 this year
0: what so for me, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> it's a big one <laughs> <laughs> listen it's a party
0: <laughs> I'm
1: 30 this year listen I'll do the music you know yeah Okay, okay, <laughs> big up, big up. Um, and I'm just coming back to the point you were making at the beginning of the episode, Aisha. <laughs> My relationship with the BBC, you're right, I've had a very intimate relationship with the BBC growing up. So, weeknights, obviously, EastEnders, standard, standard, what I'm saying, standard EastEnders. There. I hate that show though. Simpson, no, uh, after CBBC finishes, sit watching The Simpsons, Neighbours, also watching The Weakest Link, also watching Neighbours, Neighbours. 100%. And then, Top of the Pops. Mate. Top of the Pops on Fridays. Mm-hmm. That was my net. that was no, Top of the Pops. Thursday,
2: got... it was on Thursday. it was on Fridays. No, it started for Thursday. Yeah,
1: but then on Fridays, I was watching it with Reggie and Fern. Yeah, Saturday mornings, yes, mm. yeah. what am I watching Saturday mornings? I'm watching Live and Kicking. Kickin. Mm. I'm watching Live and Kicking yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I'm watching Smile as well though. I never watched Smile. Oh, oh I didn't you? Yeah, I did okay, right, Smile like, is it's Reggie, Reggie Yates again. I did used to
0: watch like Dick and Dom in the bungalow. Yeah, I used to watch Dick and Dom as well, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, well, no, do you know what? Actually <laughs> that's a bit, yeah, no, I'm a bit old Dick and Dom.
0: How old yeah. are you Aisha? I am 27. Yeah, okay, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a
1: little bit, little, bit, little bit younger than me. Yeah, so Dick and Dom was a bit, Dick and Don was a bit later, but what's interesting is I stopped watching BB, uh, EastEnders religiously after I went to university because I couldn't because I didn't have a TV a, license. No, it's
2: just you not see done it for me. What? The black people in it were
1: dead. I used to watch it, everything to myself. No, that was our representation. Uh, do you know what? BBC, no, do you know? Can I tell you? EastEnders mm. is leading the way in talking about the far right.
0: In on television, sure they have incorporated okay. that into their storyline lately. They've got a proper they, far. They I don't believe it. I swear to you. And it's I, like, I don't believe I, it. I don't even watch EastEnders radicalized. Radicalized. <laughs> a lot. It's only when my parent, my parents watch yeah, yeah. EastEnders. No a lot. way. They've and got, got, I watch with. Yep. Yeah. white yeah.
1: working class men yeah. properly yeah. shown it in its yeah. nuances, mm-hmm. and it's powerful stuff. Anyway, let's come back to your thesis and the point. So, I do think in terms of ontological security, in terms of my life growing up all the things that are happening with regards to race, class, education. Yes, I would say that the BBC did provide a service for me that was about my identity, about feeling comfortable, about giving routine. There's, I, I, I can't disagree with that. As an adult, no. But did I become an adult at the same time as social media and streaming services become to take off? So I become an adult, well, I, I turned 18 in 2010. So I think and that that's my, when
0: Netflix started.
1: Yeah. So know. I think there's something interesting to talk about in terms of gen, again, I know we talk generationally a lot on this show, but I think it's important. Yeah. Think about Gen X, think about millennials
0: and thinking yeah. about Gen Z, like yeah. our relationships with the BBC. And that is one of the biggest problems that the BBC does have at the moment. Yeah. Young people, yeah. Um. I guess those, uh, I would say under the age of, let's say, 18, um, not saying that those above the age of eighteen are no longer young; they are less likely to recognise the value of the BBC or see the the or appreciate the BBC as in their lives yeah. as they would something like Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. Netflix or TikTok, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah.
2: The BBC as an institution, it has a lot of pros to it, but it has a lot of cons. And one of those cons is it cannot shift in the way these kind of the way media does now it's quite people can find content that gets catered for them specifically so for example the, the way my algorithm works i get all the content i need or i, w- I would like and it doesn't it doesn't i don't have to go through, through all that dross. i don't have to watch wait till a certain time i can watch all the tech things i want in one go and that's what young kids like like tiktok and snapchats it's content all the time catered for them specifically
0: one of the benefits i would say in not necessarily the bbc and i'm not here like necessarily defending the bbc (laughs) as such what i am saying is um one of the benefits that broadcasting i would say in that aspect of broadcasting is the serendipity we did have when we were younger and watching live television broadcasting and linear television broadcasting because we were able to come across shows that we wouldn't necessarily have the intention of watching or seek out and the bbc's role i would say is not in fostering those echo chambers that can come about through social media one of the roles of the bbc is actually and should be is to break us out of those echo chambers and provide us with content that we might not necessarily automatically think that we might want to engage with
2: if you watch bbc that's for posh people, it was the proper way. ITV and Channel 4, they were the maverick channels. Certain people houses you go around, people's parents wouldn't let you watch the commercial channels, they'd make you watch BBC because it's an echo chamber of the, the elite. So they'd watch it and it, you'd see, if you watch it, if you like the earlier broadcasts, so they have right pronunciation, no regional accents, they more likely to be men. And then, so it was, again, we're, we're all echo chambers Echo chambers everywhere but this was a, a definitely a class divide mm-hmm. so the bbc ended up providing I, I don't know how it is now but that's how it used to be and like i said certain people's houses like one guy's i was like can you put an it itv my mom said the man said no no you can't my mom would let me i'm like why she said No, it's, it's bad for your mind like that's what the cartoons are So, like transforming transformers an itv
0: because it was the idea that <laughs> commercial tv was was bad and it didn't have a public service okay um so the bbc as a public service broadcaster Mm -hmm. is this notion of um uh this paternalistic notion of we know what's best for you we know what's best for society that way of thinking was in right this is the proper way to speak we are going to speak the the queen's english we are not going to have any regional accents things are going to be from london it's going to be london centric and um it's mostly going to be men who are the ones that are gonna be presenting these programs, et cetera, et cetera. But as society has changed, the BBC has had to change change the way in which it creates programs. Who are the people who are creating these programs? Who are the people that we see on TV? Because if it doesn't keep up with that, and is one of the reasons why we're seeing people say, right, I don't think the BBC has any role in my life today um, anymore, is because it is struggling to keep up with societal changes and um move away from some of its earlier thinking in we need to be a space that fosters these national conversations and brings together the united kingdom because arguably it 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 never it never really did (laughs)
1: so this is coming back this conversation has reminded me of the conversation we had with Tom Mills and he presented an idea of a future for the BBC that was that invested in re, re, invested more in regional coverage of the BBC so like it didn't try to create a. it doesn't try to create a national picture and is more emphasised and located on what's happening in, I don't know, Worcestershire. Obviously we have that with the news, mm-hmm. but that it should go to like another level, like a little bit like what we have with London Live
0: type yeah. thing. In theory that works. Yeah. But when we think about ideas of race mm. and where um, race and ethnicity and where um, certain um, people, for, for instance, um, I guess black African or black Caribbean people or mm. South Asians are, across the country we tend to be located in cities Mm. um whether or not that's london manchester birmingham leeds etc if the bbc is in which you are seeing it is kind of divulging and um kind of creating its little hubs in certain spaces although they are tend to be situated around Mm. cities if it was to go more into like worcester and or kind of all of these other spaces what does that then mean for um, black and Asian audiences in the in the UK, if they're not situated in those in those areas. Well,
1: I've got a provocation for you, Aisha. Oh, <laughs> throw it, throw it <laughs> my so, way. So,
0: so, um... <laughs> sorry,
1: sorry. <laughs> are you laughing at me? Man's <laughs> getting all settled up. Go on, go on. Yes, we are. We are situated more in cities, but we have always lived within suburban communities within towns. And two key demographic changes that we're going to see across Britain over the next 30 years that are going to be coming about due to working patterns changes because of COVID-19, mm-hmm. but also census data um, is going to show us a yeah. lot. Is going to come out next year. It's going to show us probably a lot more black people, black middle class people in particular moving to suburban locations. I do. I, I think you're right in that we will remain primarily within the cities. But I think it's about like, val- what do we value in terms of how we think about where we are and who we are as black people? And the, the stories. Or the representations that we have of us outside of cities, I would argue are important. I'm not saying you're not saying they're not important. They're, they're but, very but important. But exactly. And, and arguably, we need to kind of situate those stories and voices and these representations of us outside of urban, like urban settings, outside of cities as something that has always already existed, but maybe is something that we need to hone in on a little bit more. Not just to educate white people on the fact that we've lived in um, Banbury or whatever the whole time, but to actually help other black people that are considering moving to suburbs and rural spaces. That it could be a place where they could be. Well, that it could be a place <laughs> they could be, but that it's a bit of a madness. <laughs> like, and that that you, and the, 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 But we have got stories to tell that can yeah. help you navigate that. I was saying to my friend the other day, you grew up in London, I grew up in England. Yes, Where did standing. you grow up? I grew up in the West Midlands, um, yeah. in Worcestershire, in Bromsgrove. And I said, like, it is so dif- it's different, it's, it's, different. So, it's it a different, different like it's, it's a different country, it's a different country. Yeah. And like, I do think TV and radio and music ha- can give us the tools to create more of these connections on these represent on mm. value and representation
0: and that type of thing. But if the BBC were to start honing on in that does mm. that necessarily mean that they are going to engage in those stories if they don't kind of engage those people in it's in its stuff. Yeah, because well? Aisha,
1: you're going to be running it. You're
0: going to <laughs> be telling them. No, but I think I
1: think that look, we're seeing a lot of people rethink how they live within the uk and covid has definitely and covid is really i think it was already happening because of issues of pollution etc so it was already happening but covid is 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 accelerating that so what can we what what does the bbc what can the bbc do what what can the bbc do within this new chat within this possibly new demographic change in the uk uk what is the bbc's role in this
0: I would, I would be, rest- I would argue that it needs to make more use of its um, channels and services like Radio One Extra yeah. and the Asia Network. Yeah, they don't and shouldn't be seen as just radio services mm. that only produces radio mm. content and podcasting content. They should be transformed into digital platforms yes. for these audiences and should be creating content across news across drama, comedy, on TV and within podcasts? That's a
1: sick idea, Aisha, you're an listen, ideas listen, woman. Listen, listen. She's an ideas I'll woman. Give yeah. <laughs> I'll give you the job. I'll give you the job. No CV needed, do you this get me? No that CV such a good needed. Idea. That's a sick Wait, idea. Listen, that is such a sick you idea. You know what? Be careful, babe, because they're gangsters. Someone's going to ta- <laughs> take listen, that. Listen, painting
2: it, but listen, yeah. <laughs> But you know what the thing is, so I think that's a good idea. I think that's an amazing idea, right? Mm. But. I think this kind of, it, it, it kind of clashes with the idea of the BBC as that kind of neutral arbiter. Like it still has that, still has that paternalistic vibe about it. And it doesn't really kind of bring in, it, it has those things as an, an addition too, but it's not bringing it into the mainstream. And I think this is the problem of the BBC. It straddles those two worlds at the moment. It, it has one foot in the old world and its big toe, not its whole foot, the big toe in the new world. Because it's 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 testing the waters, you get me, and it's
0: trying it's trying to it's trying to balance that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and you see that in I think Sarita Malik wrote in uh, a I think it's a great uh, I think it's a book uh, I think it's a book chapter, um where she looks at scheduling, um I don't know if you guys have have read it, um but she looks at uh, basically South Asian um content. Um, and the way in which it's been scheduled on the BBC. And she speaks to people that work at the BBC and across Channel 4 and across kind of different <laughs> programmes who are making these programmes for these audiences. And one of the things in which um, they say is that their content has been kind of um, pushed to the ethnic graveyards um, where, and we see this quite often, where programmes for for Black and Asian audiences are put on late at night, like as if Black and Asian people are a tunnel. And we're not, but that's know.
2: but that's always been the case since I was a kid. So since Westwood and all that, man had to wait like two, three o'clock in the morning for them shows. So it's always been that way. So it seems to me this has been it's become the norm. It's been normalised, right? So lockdown has and Brexit has exposed this idea this this idea of a nation who who we are yeah very clearly right. And the BBC embodied that. So could you imagine if they said we're going to make one extra, a digital platform. Could you imagine the the backlash, the pushback?
1: You. But get it for? might happen. Uh, it might happen. And this is what I think is really interesting about these conversations. why I love having guests like Aisha on is because if you think about think about Stuart Hall and thinking about um, the formation of Channel Four and thinking about the eighties mm-hmm. and the nineties and thinking about TV, but also thinking about Thatcher's Britain. You you have periods or conjunctures of such juxtaposing political formations. What I mean by that is, you can have like a a basically a Black Renaissance at the same time on TV and film and radio, a Black British Renaissance at the same time as probably the most one of the most authoritarian governments we have we have had in Britain. Mm. It is crazy, but it's such an interesting time. So what you're saying. A one extra digital platform mm-hmm. that very much could happen like tomorrow and there
0: will be a backlash but it, it's part of but this I, I, this I, era it's how really. the bbc manages the differences within within society within british within british yeah. culture but I, and
2: i and i think so sitting back and i as i'm so as you are saying it so i'm thinking of like a kind of a dialectical moment right so you have the the kind of thesis and the anti-thesis so you have the thesis of the kind of bbc as it is and you have this kind of new stuff that's coming in and it through the kind of
1: who are the new stuff sorry so new speaking. stuff like
2: the one extra stuff and okay, all this yeah, yeah, so you yeah. have this kind of this constant to and fro but I guess I don't know maybe it's the kind of times we're living in it feels more pressing right so it feels more of a kind of paradigmic shift mm-hmm. that you're seeing now like is it going to be one thing or the other and, and I think maybe because the times are so polarised it seems like everything's a zero-sum game it's either going to have to be this or that but in reality it's always this and that together
0: yeah and, that, and that's something that stuart hall mm. says in terms of like um the i'm not an expert on stuart hall but mm. like um communication and knowledge and power and it's like a it's a two and throw between the two it's it's not that you know as a society one side is going to win the argument or win that war mm. it is things shift from one side at one moment in time it shifts this way and another moment in time it shifts in that way and that in terms of like politics and who we have in power at the time is also reflected in the BBC and, and the way in which the BBC um, kind of operates as well.
2: I guess because the language that it's all wrapped up in at the moment is in terms of a culture war. And I guess that's what what makes it seem like a zero-sum game. In, if we're talking in terms of war, one side wins, the other side loses. And I guess it's in this terrain that the BBC finds itself at the moment. Our conversations have to kind of take into account how people positioning the BBC.
0: And that's why I argue that the BBC needs to take on its own self reflexive project of who it is in society, taking into consideration um, its history, um, you know, how it has presented certain um, views of society and mm-hmm. British culture and uh, national identity to um, people in the UK. And then it's positioning now who does it want to be? In in the future, what role does it want to take on? And asking questions like what what actually is British culture, um and what is British culture being made up of?
2: Listen, they might come for you, man. They're big questions, <laughs> man. They're big questions, fam. Listen, listen. We're worry. on the list already. L- listen, listen. Like, man, back yeah, yeah, yeah. you, I'll back you. I'll give we'll you the back job. You. <laughs> no CV <need>, in it.
1: <laughs> I think what I just wanted to come back to one of the points you were just saying, Aisha, sure, about um Stuart Hall and. I think that the two things existing at the same time also comes onto what you were saying as well, T. I do think there is a case to be made about the current moment in that these things are intensified. So the fact that we can have, yeah, those in power can be, we can have a far right government, but at the same time we can see breaks in the terrain via the type of media that we have access to, the type of representation we have access to. But I do think we are... In the, that's intensified at the moment. So, like some of the things that we get to see now on TV, like I was actually saying to Paulette the other day, I like sometimes I don't want representation. I just want to see messy white people um <laughs> on, on reality TV. <laughs> like, do you know I, what I mean? It but doesn't we,
0: need to be. For, you don't want it to be. Forced. I don't want it to be
1: forced. But like, it's really hard to s-
2: s- go on. So obviously, so in, so in some of the marginalised stuff, like some like the kind of geek culture community, that this is one of their complaints: the idea that. Once organisations take on the idea of diversity, it seems forced and contrived. My, my pushback is, if it's not forced and contrived, you won't do it. <laughs> like, That's, tr- like, t- like, I like, sound it,
1: corrected. S- that is true. If, if, that is exactly true. If we, if yeah, 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 they so will do it, yeah.
2: One of the big arguments I find from like, some of the kind of like heteronormative masculine arguments about TV is that they're forcing uh, gay, gay lifestyle, they're forcing ethnic minorities. I'm saying, well, if they didn't, it wouldn't happen. And I said, they did this with black people, the same argument in the 80s, they're forcing black families in Brookside and in, in EastEnders. But if it didn't, it wouldn't happen. And it, that in, in 10 years later, you're used to it. It's normal now, right?
0: Yeah, and, and these co- cultural norms can change very quickly. Yeah. And we've seen that with COVID and stuff, just like wearing a mask. Yeah. How before COVID, it was like, you used to see people, some people on the train, wearing a mask. You're like, why on earth are they wearing a mask? And now mm. it's become a norm things can become cultural norms very very quickly
2: in that in that cultural moment you're seeing right so if you kind of just jump back just before covid the idea of covering your face was an anathema to western democracy, to western democracy not yeah. even western ideals right yeah, yeah, yeah. the idea of like it's secrecy mm. and I, I guess but and this is still unresolved cleavage if you use like li- lipsticks kind of words because people talk about it in, in terms of the marshal about freedom and so should BBC, and when they're talking about like, so in those enrainers, people like the BBC are an anathema to freedom to them. Like they don't speak the truth and they would seek out other media outlets that seem to speak for them. And so in that position, the BBC find it, finds itself at odds with the, the basic values of Western democracies. They no longer speak the truth for some people. They no longer represent freedom for some people. Clearly the BBC has, has a bias, but like I said, I think your point about it trying to be reflexive about its bias, if it just said, yeah, boom, like we support the monarchy, well, man, we will have a problem, but it's the idea that sometimes they they kind of, they cling to the idea of neutrality, but clearly they take a position, yeah.
0: Impartiality is one of the things that they use. They, they cling is, to, they, right? Yeah, like, like I said previously, you see that in 2019 when um, Naga Manchetti on BBC Breakfast was explaining that whenever she has been told, it was in relation to when Donald Trump told four um, congresswomen to oh, yeah, yeah. Go, go, back go back home. And and when she said that um, whenever I have been told to go back home, it has been embedded in racism. She did not actually say...
2: The BBC position.
0: Donald Trump was a racist. <laughs> she was saying <laughs> that in whenever she has experienced that... Mm-hmm and 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 then the bbc said that they were going to reprimand her because of that because of a complaint from a member of the public regarding that and their position on that was impartiality the bbc is impartial and then it had to kind of say you know we're not impartial on race if you're going to say we're not impartial on race then we need to think about What does impartiality actually mean, and where, you know, what are we going to be considering is or isn't impartial? And what are the structures that the BBC has in place to deal with topics of race that do not allow for the BBC to be seen as um, kind of fostering racist ideas and allowing racism to foster in its programming that it makes for? audiences
1: just on the i always find the i find the naga um example really hard because i don't always want it to be like a race to the bottom but as a broadcaster i have found naga to be problematic at times on race so the fact that i then had to get behind the complaint that was made against her on that case i had to see it for what it was i found really difficult because i remember when kelechi okafor went on to breakfast and was talking about the horribly racist cartoon of serena williams and basically like naga just sat there and said it was like a non-issue and like was very kind of ambivalent about it and now I've got and now I've got to be like and like, this solidarity with and this is the
0: issue isn't it this is the issue it because, is the issue is what is the BBC allowing its presenters yes. and the people and its staff um to talk about these issues if i as a black person have my experiences of race and racism and i am presenting a program and someone is coming on the program speaking about their experiences of racism and what is and is not racist how and where does where is the bbc's position in determining what is and is isn't racist should the bbc be the ones to be determining what is and isn't racist and who are the people in the executive complaints unit, or mm-hmm. who are the people who are in, you know, the the, the top staff who are actually making these decisions, um, and if people who are in those positions aren't from ethnically minoritized audiences, it it that's where the the, the kind of issue the yeah. issue lies.
1: Well, and also not even it's not. Also, I I agree with you, Aisha, but I also think it's about being to what extent do you have racial literacy and i don't think that because naga is a brown woman that she necessarily has um racial literacy and she not is, everyone does and, and that's not the everyone thing does and that's well. the not
0: everyone should be exactly the, not everyone just because you're black or yeah. just because you're asian doesn't mean that you're an expert on race exactly I, and i myself i'm not an expert on race exactly i, I can only speak from my so, experience yeah. so i
1: think that so i think that coming back to sort of us as yeah sociologists of race and class watching that kind of exchange play out that presents racism or race negative racialization in an apathetic ambivalent or um he said she said type way is incredibly irresponsible is it that the bbc shouldn't even have those debates i don't know like i I just feel
2: i'm gonna say like kind of like linking onto that so maybe Maybe, the, maybe, the, maybe the terrain as it is enables for these things to play out. For example, the BBC is incapable—not well, incapable, but it will, ha- it will find it very difficult to deal with these issues because it, the nature of, it, of the nature of the corporation. So you have spaces like this podcast. That terrain, the terrain as it stands, enables for these things to play out. So we have the debates here, and we talk about you know, that mm-hmm. with our listenership in our echo chamber because it makes sense for those conversations to take place. The BBC will have these conversations but it's kind of played out in a very messy choppy Because it
1: follows so it follows the mainstream news so obviously there was outrage about this cartoon Mm, of serena mm, mm -hmm. but then we perhaps the point is that the broadcasters the presenters need to have a train a level of training where they can Talk about multiple issues to do with race, class, gender, and capitalism because these are the things that do tend to like. Do do you know what I mean? I just, I found that. I I think we've brought it up on the show once before because I do, I've really struggled with the Naga example because obviously it was, it was, it's a case that has been big now and it's an important one in in thinking about how. the BBC tackles racism or conversation about race, but but her her history on on this as a presenter is poor. So, and I'm not saying that means that she
0: shouldn't be taken seriously. I'm saying it's such a difficult one. It's um, not just that conversation in itself. Yeah. It's the context behind yes, it and exactly. and the things that allowed that conversation to yes. even happen in the first place, or previous examples like you said yeah. um, with the the um, Serena Williams and um, yeah um yeah how how are the bbc presenting these conversations and are those conversations that are happening on bbc one the same conversations that would be happening on one extra This is
2: because the nature of the com- the nature of the corporation is so it's partly it's partly establishment like i said and it has it straddles those two worlds so like i said maybe the terrain as it stands with multiple voices and multiple spaces the only way we have right now to hear the voices we want to hear and have the conversation we want to have so in- i and
1: i guess I, just coming back to i hear you t mm. and i do agree i basically i do agree with you but in a time of yeah increased Increased polarization in a time where people are feeling much more at ease with wearing their racist badge of honour. Yeah, yeah. Is it responsible to have this imperfect terrain where the topics under discussion have an impact on people's lives? I know that sounds a bit extreme in terms of thinking about oh. the Serena Williams cartoon, but like it to have Nagar as a brown woman then say to a black woman on the on the sofa what you on about it gives people like your your everyday people like well she said it was fine so it's fine do you know what i mean no, like 100%. and i think the
0: bbc is really yeah, it has to think about how it's presenting these conversations and power. It has to think in, about power. And who are the people in these conversations that that it's having?
2: Uh, and I, but, and the madness is I think they do think about it, but sometimes yeah. I think they don't care, right? <laughs> like, like <gasps> I
0: thought you were gonna say. No, no, I thought
1: you no, were no, gonna no. say sometimes they just wanna like, no. then sometimes they wanna. They no, because like, just...
2: when I, when I see across the pond to America and you look at how Fox has decided that this is what we're gonna do, and over here GB News look what we're gonna do. We're gonna pursue a a very. Nationalist GB file, <laughs> <You got beautiful. laughs> and so when the BBC presents certain things, like they know how it's going to play out because they have vast experience. They have a lot of experts there, and so well, the question is, well, why did it play out that way? Because, like, given the given the knowledge, given the scope of the people there, given the history of the people there, and given like, so when I see when I see this, I think, well, would you not necessarily know how this is going to come out because? You have a vast, vast, not vast store of knowledge to draw upon, right?
0: I, I don't never, I don't necessarily think that. I, I would say that just it does it because it believes it has a duty to do so. Okay, it okay,
2: has yeah, yeah, a duty see, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: to present these arguments and present not saying it's necessary that there actually should be something that should be argued but you know yeah. it has uh, it has its duty in order to kind of reflect the conversations that are happening within society so one argument that you could say with the Kelechi, um situation is that actually that conversation is Can be quite reflective of the conversations that are actually happening within Britain. Between, listen,
1: that's that's right. You're right. You know, you're right. And that gives a demonstration of the the our complex solidarities or sometimes our inability to be in solidarity of each other as racialized people. That's a big question. Aisha, Aisha, listen, sick, sick sick, faces, fam. Listen, I'll
2: give you the job. Big,
1: no cv <laughs> turn up sick, turn sickness. up tell me, and listeners, me to CTV, right? thank you so much for joining us this week aisha that was incredible sick, sick. you're me amazing we can't wait to see what you do next thank you for having me <laughs> listeners patreon episode for you if you're a patron, and we'll see you again next week bye bye thank you for listening to surviving society with shantel and tiso you can now continue the conversation with us on twitter and instagram If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon.
2: If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing.